Good afternoon. Um, okay, well, I just give us a moment to take our seats as well. Um, I want to thank God for the opportunity to stand before you again, God's people, and um, lead us in the time when we get to look at God's Word again um, as we continue in this series on the miracle of Christmas. And, um, you know, as we gather and get together here, and just by way of considering what we're looking at today, it's just an interesting thing if you look around you, just, just look around you with me for a minute, just look around. I'm not asking you to do anything silly or, <laughs> or anything awkward, but just look around. And as you continue thinking or listening to what I'm saying, ponder for a minute, how many people do you really know in here? How many people do you, um, can you say you know for a fact? I'm not just talking about, you know, the physical person that you can see or the physical being you can see. I mean, you can see people, you might know their names, that's a start. But what else do you know about them? And if you got to know anything about them at all, um, I bet you it's something that they revealed to you. They told you their name. Or you asked someone else, what's that person's name? Um, they told you things they like. And by observing them, you've probably seen things that they don't like, things they don't appreciate. And gradually, you get to see and know who that person is. <clears throat> In the same way, um, it's kind of a miracle that we even know God at all. You know, much as even just humanly speaking, you may get to glean and know things about people from others third hand because they let something out or they let something off. Um, with God, how do you even start? Where do you go at it? You know, there's many efforts, there's many attempts to know God among men, but at best, you just end up with religion in some form, shape, or kind. And, you know, after all the effort, and after all the tireless effort, you get to a point where, <laughs> in, a, in a bit of a humorous way, you get a tap on the shoulder. Hello, you looking for me? God reveals himself to you. So, um... We're looking today, as we continue in this series, and, um, at what we could title loosely the miracle of the message, how God indeed um, has tried to communicate his 
grace, his message of salvation to mankind. And all through the ages, it just seems like we can't get it. We just can't get it. But rather than God give up in frustration, um, you know, God loves us so much that he desperately wants to reveal himself to us in ways that we can understand. And what he's resorted to is to send his very own son to communicate his message in a way that we can understand. Let me read the um, passage of scripture we're going to be just anchoring this message in and then lead us in a time of prayer. Join with me if you can in Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, it's just the first couple of verses and then we'll pray. Hebrews chapter 1 and reading verses 1, 2, and 3, just for some context. God after he spoke long time ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you. We can pray, Lord, because you have spoken your word to us and made it clear to us that you invite and you welcome our prayers. You reveal yourself even in Jesus Christ. And even in the old time, Lord God, times past, ages past, you reveal yourself as well. You call men to seek you while you may be found. Lest the time pass when we would yearn, look for you, um, but not find you because we've probably spurned your counsel, neglected your advice, ignored your pleas and calls out to us. Father, it's as, we, as we look at your word again, as we look at this, these ways in which you reach out to us, Lord, enlighten our hearts, enlighten our minds, enlighten our understanding as you reveal yourself to us through Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that it's more than our Heads just getting and understanding intellectually what we talk about today. We pray beyond that, that we take the step of faith and, and trust our lives, trust our salvation, trust our eternal existence to you, Lord. Because you are able to save us, even through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, the point is very simple and um, yet profound that God would reveal himself to us 
that God would reveal himself to us. This is the, this is the message of, of, of um, the text we're anchoring in today. And this is the point of, um, in this part, in this second message in our series about the miracle of Christmas. It indeed is amazing that we would get to know God at all. So, um, I read just now Hebrews chapter 1, and verses 1 to 3. And the passage we're looking at is like an introduction to the, to the book of Hebrews, uh, which was addressed really to Hebrew believers, Hebrew Christians. It was addressed to, to Hebrew um, non-Christians who were convinced of the gospel. It was also addressed to Hebrew non-Christians who were not convinced of the gospel, who would reject the gospel outright. Hebrew Christians, because these are people who had received, who, had, who always had the covenants of God, always had the commandments of God, always had the counsel of God. And they worshipped God, the only God who you could say was the one true God. And they worshipped God differently as Jews. The sacrifices at the, at the temple, the sacrifices that they would offer to atone for sin. But now, God had revealed his son, Jesus Christ. The old practice is still going on, but then they've abandoned all that and are putting their trust in this man who was executed publicly. In the face of those who still hold on to the old practice, in the face of those who still offer sacrifices, and so there's a challenge already. Immediately, they're living in a community that believes something else. And here they are believing something different within that same community. It's just like anyone would experience today. If you were of a certain faith and departed from that faith, but still had to live in that household where everybody else believed something else. So these guys were facing persecution. They were facing trial. And um, there's every temptation for them to just leave that faith or hold on to some of the things that, they, that, they, that were familiar to them in terms of what they believed and practiced, purporting to be from the same, the very same God. So leaving Judaism to practice Christian faith. And then there were those who also, um, they were Hebrews, they were Jews as well. They were convinced of the gospel. It's apparent. Jesus has died and, been, and risen from the dead. They've heard of it. They haven't probably met Jesus, but they've heard of it. And the people alive who knew this Jesus and saw the things that happened, they're convinced, but take the step of faith. Nah, I'll hold on. I'll hold out and see what happens. I'll, I'll take my time. I'll wait till... Sounds familiar? I'll wait till... Yeah, I've had a good run at life. But these were... Hebrews, they were Jews who were convinced of the gospel but did not take hold of it. You know, these were the kind of people that later in Hebrews you would find the writer saying that these people were such who, if having once been enlightened, having come to know about the gospel but refusing it, no other salvation remained for them. What hope would they have if they rejected the truth of the gospel? And then those who also were non-Christians, who were not convinced of the gospel, they'd rather stick to the old way. I've sinned, fine. Get me a goat. I'm going to the priest. Offer my sacrifice. That sorts me out. Not this Jesus talk. So these are the people that this um, letter of Hebrews was written to. And straight off the bat, at the beginning, 
the writer is making an effort to introduce his audience to a superior priesthood. He's making an effort to introduce his audience to someone who surpasses what they've known before. So he makes a reference right at the beginning to say, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, what's he referring to? It may not be obvious, but it's worth pointing out, even if it is. He's referring to the fact that God speaks. God speaks through his word as a person. God speaks through his word as a person. We read in John chapter 1 and verse 1 that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. What's going on there? God speaks through his word as a person. This is something we see in scripture. But God also speaks through his word as speech, spoken word. You can hear me speaking, right? God speaks as well. God spoke, um, we can see in scripture examples of that where God speaks by decree. Look out there, you see the sun. God said, let there be a light in the heavens to govern the day. And that's how the sun was made. You know, so he spoke, as soon as he spoke, bam, it happened. That's decreeing, you know. When anybody talks about decreeing, that's what I expect to see. God speaks, bam, it happens. He speaks in personal address like he did with Adam, with Eve, with Moses, with Abraham, and a select few where he spoke directly to them, addressing them. He spoke to Adam. Um, God speaks also through human lips by the prophets, and that's what our writer is talking about here as well. He speaks through human lips by the prophets, and now God also speaks through the written words. Give an example of God speaking through the written word. Remember, he called Moses, come, and he gave him two stone tablets on which he'd written his commandments. Remember that? The Ten Commandments. God spoke through that. That was God, God's word. In every case, all of these things were authoritative. God spoke. You couldn't dispute and say this was not God speaking. Now, God spoke to the fathers. Who were they? To the Hebrews, it was several times you would see Jesus rebuke them for calling, for claiming Abraham was their father, or David, or Jacob. What did God say to these, these guys? These are people who were their forefathers, so to speak. Well, we're going to look and see what God says and see many examples of how God spoke indeed uh, in times past to the fathers, in the prophets, and in many ways. It says in this um, introduction to the Hebrews again, to these people struggling with all kinds of challenges to their faith, that 
Um, he spoke in many portions and in many ways. Um, just quickly, even if, even if you, you're wrong by a, not a digit or two, how many books are there in the Bible? 66. Old Testament? 39. Okay, there's, there's a good number. There's, a, uh, there's 39. <laughs> okay. Different accounts, different records. Written by, in the Bible, written by at least 40 different authors over a span of, say, 1,800 years. And God spoke in these. Um, so, in the Old Testament, we do have God's written word and accounts of his word spoken through human lips, and even written word as well. Of course, there is a lot to choose from, but for me personally, it is all too easy to lose track if I, start, if I started putting down so many examples and, and wanting to start running through them. We'll be here till... <laughs> I've already been told I've been put on a timer. Okay, 30 minutes, I'll try. <laughs> All right. But he spoke, here's examples, to Abraham about the nation of the Messiah. He spoke to the parents of, this is not in the Old Testament, this is in the New, but in a time before we began to get written accounts, and we'll see this in, um, in, the, in, in, in Matthew, we see there the parents of the Lord, that's Mary and Joseph. Some guy walks up to them and revealed Christ to them. His name was Simeon, and he'd been waiting, expecting the Messiah to come. God laid it on his heart that you would see the salvation of the Lord. Hopping on along quickly. God revealed to Jacob the tribe that the Messiah would come from. He revealed to David and Isaiah the family of the Messiah. I picked that one as an example. 2 Samuel 7, 15 and 16. 2 Samuel 7, 15 and 16. God tells David through the prophet Nathan, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Think about it. How could David's throne be established forever? When all his descendants think with me like David at that time, we know we die, right? Nobody's lived forever so far. And then God's talking about a throne to be established forever? Uh, how? How's that possible? Even if you put somebody else there, they'll die. And then the next person will die. But his throne will be established forever. Uh, in Jeremiah 23 and verse 5 to 8, um, God speaks through Jeremiah. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. To Micah, another prophet, um, God 
spoke to the fathers, revealing the town where he would be born. Who's he speaking about? We'll come to see in a moment. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Does that sound humanly possible? Hold that thought. To Daniel, God, or in Daniel, God spoke. It's easy for us to say, oh, God spoke to these guys, but it was actually God speaking. It's God's words being spoken. God spoke. Um, the time when he'd be born in the vision in Daniel chapter 9. To Malachi, or in Malachi, God spoke again, telling how, behold, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Does that sound familiar? We have the advantage and the benefit of the written word, even preserved after this account of reading from um, um, was written, the New Testament. He'll preserve the way before me. In speaking, of course, of John the Baptist, the one who, who when, when he was questioned, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who's to come? And one of his responses was, no, I'm a voice in the wilderness, just told to go prepare the way or prepare the way of the Lord. And this God spoke of in Malachi. So all these prophets, all these men of God who spoke to the forefathers, heard these things, and indeed what God was doing there was preparing that generation, preparing these people for the coming of Messiah. Preparing this people for the coming of Messiah. Even in Jonah, the resurrection of Christ was typified, just like a type of Jesus' resurrection. And when you think about these guys, I just thought, hmm, should I park on this for a minute? That's a lot of time when I think about how many minutes I've got left. <laughs> but when you think about prophets... These were people who had God's clear mandate to speak. Not people who's had too much to drink or had power get to their heads or anything like that. There were people who God said he would raise up among Moses' countrymen in Deuteronomy. And it shall come about, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So prophets weren't just going off and just, you know, let me start something over here. Say something profound. If it hits, great, I'm established. If they were not chancers. They weren't guys who were just going about saying what they felt like after they'd had too much beans to eat. But they spoke the word of God that God put in their mouths to speak. 
And God was so jealous about this that he warned. The prophet who speaks a presumptuous word in my name, which I haven't commanded him to speak, shall die. Say that to the prophets of our time. <laughs> but when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and here's a test God gives. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. That is, don't even give the time of day to listen. Don't even give the time of day to pay any attention to that. That's the way God spoke through men, through the prophets of old, to the fathers. And these things that they spoke came to pass. Now, what happens? He spoke in the prophets to the fathers in many ways, in many different kinds of ways, in visions, in dreams, in ways you, you just can't imagine. One prophet had the challenge. I don't know how many of you, maybe the ladies among you, have read this novel by Francine Rivers um, called Redeeming Love. This prophet, God challenged him to go marry a harlot. She went a whoring, go rescue her again. She went a whoring, go rescue her and pay a ransom to get her back. You think, God, come on, what's your point? God was trying really hard to make the people he set out to save and to reach, to know, I love you with a redeeming love. I love you so much, I would give everything I have to get you back to myself. I wouldn't let you go for anything because I've sworn that I would love you. And this is the kind of message we hear in Christ now, whom God now speaks through. He says God spoke um, in the, in, first to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways. And in these last days, in these last days, has spoken to us in his son. Now, you would have um, heard about Jesus Christ. He's in this last day spoken to us by his son. Can I ask you a question? Do you know that even of all those prophets, do you suppose that of all those prophets who spoke in, the, in, in times past to the fathers, that any of them, once they were given to speak God's word, would just, you know, strut around like, yeah, I know God now, I've got God made out. They couldn't because they only got what God gave them to speak and didn't get the full picture. They spoke through their lips. Their minds were involved, though yet they did not presume on God with regards to what they spoke. They, suddenly reckoned, they didn't suddenly reckon they knew it all. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 and 11 just shows this point to us. As to this salvation 
the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to us now, they made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what the person or time, what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. But God speaks to us now through his son. God speaks to us now through his son. There's one person who knows it, who reveals the whole, through, the whole truth. The Old Testament spoke in bits and pieces and fragments, but Jesus is still the full and final revelation. Hear this. Obviously, for those who found themselves walking at odds with other believers, people who still believed in the old sacrifice, but they now find themselves believing in Christ. Who was right and who was wrong? Of course, those who walked in the old way, preferring to offer sacrifices in the temple, there's a sense in which they were not wrong about what they were doing, but they were wrong about the time now. Remember last week, the miracle of the moment. God chose the time now to establish the new covenant. God chose the time now to reveal the true and living way of coming to worship him. And here in Christ, we have that revealed. So God spoke in words, and now he speaks in the person of Jesus Christ, his son. Um, let's read together first in, in John chapter 4 and verse 25. I said I would try 30 minutes. <laughs> John chapter 4 and verse 25. I won't turn there. Let's read together. Jesus was interacting with um, this woman at a well in Samaria. Interacting with a woman at a well in Samaria. And there she is expecting Messiah to be revealed. There she is expecting that a Christ will come. Let me turn there myself as well. If you're familiar with um, this account, the account of the woman at the well in Samaria, and Jesus is having a conversation with her. And remember, Jesus is out and about with his disciples, and they're going from town to town. They were heading up to the north to um, Galilee, but had to pass through Samaria. And he meets this woman and calls her and the conversation ensues and the woman talks to Jesus about, hmm, I perceive that you're a prophet in conversation with Jesus. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She's talking about how to get to know God as far as they were concerned. Remember, we started off talking about how we get to know God. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. I perceive you're a prophet. 
kind of like, you know, trying to stand tall in some religious conversation. You're a prophet. Oh, we worship here. This is our little place where we worship. And, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. But what does the Lord do? Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Kind of like what we looked at yesterday. The moment is near. But here now is the message himself. Um, the hour is coming when you will worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We started off talking about or looking around to see how many people we actually know. You know, and I prompted you to do that to just kind of help us to see how it could be really futile trying to get to know God our way without God actually revealing himself. And here we have God, the Son, revealing himself. Because what we see in our text is that in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And what a privilege. I wonder, I wonder what it was like for this woman at the well, right there, having a, I'm showing off my age now, having a one-to-one -one with Jesus. Who would you like to have a one-to-one -one with? Would you like to have a one-to-one -one with God? Would you like to get to know God, as in, you and God sit down and God tell you his middle name, where he went to school. If, if <laughs> I'm speaking in human terms now. <laughs> his favorite kind of music. I bet it's praise. <laughs> the most beautiful things that he really appreciates and the things he loves the most, or the ones he loves the most, I bet we'll be surprised to find out that's me and you. And here the Lord reveals himself. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshippers, John 4, I'm continuing to read, verse 23, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. As I look at this passage, I ask myself the question, how can you know someone who is spirit. You know, just again, going back to what I started off with, I asked you to look around and see how many people you really know. Not just the physical being you can see. I've seen, I think I've seen everybody here before. But as I look again, 
I can be honest enough to say I don't know a lot of people. Because you're not just the person or the physical being I see. You're made in the image of God, right? Body, soul, spirit. God is spirit. And then this is the beautiful, this is the sweetest thing I see. And I want to, ah, I just feel like I shouldn't stop here. <laughs> but John 4.25, please look with me. The woman said to him, are you there? John 4.25, look at it in your own Bible. Can you see what's happening there? The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. How would she know? She's heard about it in the prophets. She's heard God's word speak about Messiah to come. God's spoken, God's revealed himself in the prophets prior to now. I mean, she's in a part of, of the kingdom that um, is, is a mishmash of people who were exiled from the northern kingdom and then brought back into their land after lifetimes of exile. So they're more or less like some of us who've been away from our home countries so long now, if we go back there, they look at you like you're a foreigner. <laughs> but she knew that Messiah is coming from what God had long ago spoken to the fathers. And then she asks, she says, I know that Messiah is coming. Read on. When he comes, he will tell us all things. That's a beautiful expectation. And this is what God has done. Look at verse 26. What did Jesus say? Jesus said to her, read with me. I... Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. So, that expected Messiah has come. That expected one who, who wants, to, wants us to know him is here. And what a privilege for the Lord to reveal himself to this woman. What a privilege we have for God to reveal himself to us as well. Remember, God spoke to the fathers long time ago in many ways, in many portions, in visions, in dreams. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. We don't have the privilege of being able to just, you know, jet off to Jerusalem and find Jesus sitting on a rock somewhere or on the Mount of Olives, you know, with a long queue and touts selling tickets wanting to see him. We don't have that privilege now. But we have those whom he has also appointed to speak his word, to continually 
make the good news known. And as I bring us to a close, as I bring us to a close, what God has done here is not just speak a message again through Christ, but actually send the message himself, Christ, our Savior, our salvation. The fact that, read the rest of the verse. His son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Upholds all things by the word of his power. What God has done for us in revealing Christ to us is, much as we can easily relate to, I wonder, I don't know about you personally, but I know for myself, there's times I find it, when I think about God, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what he's like. God the Father. And I have all kinds of crazy imaginations in my head of things that are just my imagination. That's all it is because I've never really, and I can't tell you what God is like, but I know God is spirit. I don't know what you can imagine the spirit is. It's not a white sheet with holes. (laughs) But Christ, the son, God, the son. Wow. That I can relate to. Him I can relate to. Him I can relate to. His, his, His righteousness, his grace. John says, we beheld him. We touched him. We handled him, full of grace and truth. This Lord who, when he was unjustly condemned, would not fight back. Doesn't mean we should be sissies. But in doing so, shows me that, wow, there is, even though he was crucified... He lived again and gives me a living hope. We're not just talking a historical figure here now, but someone who is actually alive, having been crucified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, making intercession in the presence of God. As we speak, I tell you, he's attentive seeing our hearts. And even for the fact that the Lord sees our hearts, that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't and shouldn't scare us at all. Because like Pastor Rob said at the end of that um, series in prayer, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? So, What are we saying in conclusion? God has revealed, he has 
He has spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many ways to prepare the world for the coming of the Messiah. And now, in Christ, he has revealed Messiah. And in all of this, God spoke in the person of Jesus Christ, his son, revealed himself to us. There is no, there's nothing else to add to this. Let me give us a challenge as we conclude. I don't know how much you know Jesus Christ. Maybe we know, yeah, in our heads mentally what it takes to be saved. We can all do that. It's easy. Even me, I find myself sometimes being able to just relate. Can you explain salvation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just write it like, like some kind of test paper, you know, passing an Uber driver test. You can just put the answer down and pass. Whether you drive safely afterwards is a different matter. <laughs> but can we exhaustively know Christ thinking about his ministry to us now? Can we know what Christ does at everything that causes us concern, anxiety? The one who says to, you know, um, fear not. Because the Father has willed that the kingdom be yours. Hebrews tells us is that is God has appointed him to be the heir of all things. But this same Lord tells us that it's God's will that the kingdom is ours as well. Can we exhaustively know this Lord? Can we exhaustively know what he has in store for us? What joy will there be as you, as I, if we just know the Lord up here mentally and agree with what salvation says, but haven't really taken the step of faith to put our trust for our life, how we deal with everyday issues into his hands. What difference does it make knowing him? Or if we just know this, this, but we want to have a good run at life first before I do anything about it. This Lord, there's so much to know about the Lord yet. But the good thing is this. God has revealed the Son. He has revealed salvation. He has revealed the message himself, the word of God and presented him to us in these last days. They were talking last days in those times. We too are in the last days. We're waiting for his return. Let this time not pass us by for this miraculous message of God's salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Thank you for the privilege that you give to us. You give us the privilege of knowing you. Hmm. 
And even after you introduce yourself to us, after you reveal yourself to us, we really can't just walk away and tick the box and say, yeah, God fully known, God fully comprehended, God's salvation, tick 100%. I understand that because it's more than that. You call us to place our lives in your hands, to give our lives to you because you have given your life for us because you so love us and you don't want anyone to perish but have everlasting life who believe and place our trust in you. Also, I pray, um, make this message plain, what you have done in sending Christ to us now. Even as we draw to the close of the year, among us it's traditional that we would remember the birth of the baby Jesus coming to the world. Help us, Lord. Now, the message is not thrown by the wayside, but I find it's good ground in our hearts where we would take delight, persevere, receive your counsel, and bring the fruit that you look for to your great delight. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.